Good morning. Well, today we are continuing our Advent series on why Jesus came. And so we are listening to Jesus in his own words, why he became one of us. Uh, Two weeks ago, we considered his statement. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Last week, Jesus' statement, I came to bring a sword. Today, we're going to consider Jesus' statement where he says, I came to do the will of God, or I came to do my Father's will. And for our purposes today, the will of God is whatever God wants, whatever pleases him, whatever delights the heart of God. And the, new t- or the, the, the scriptures really uh, lay out the contours of the will of God in a real, rather comprehensive way in every area of life, in our thinking, in our speaking, in our acting, in every context, the will of God in our home, in our neighborhoods, in the workplace, and out in the world, uh, the will of God as it involves those who are young, those who are older, and everybody in between. And so that's what the Bible talks about, is what God really desires, uh, his will. And honestly, I can think about a dozen reasons or more why you and I should be committed to doing the will of God from the heart. Honestly, there's all sorts of reasons. It's a life of joy. Uh, You avoid the anxiety of hypocrisy. Uh, It's a life of peace and rest. There are many, many reasons. But the reason we're going to focus on today is this. We are Christ-like when we're committed to doing the will of God. We should do the will of God because in that way we imitate Christ. We are like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that in and of itself, that prospect should be a powerful motivation for those who are followers of Christ. And so today we're going we're gonna to see uh, two things. First of all, we're going to see Jesus' commitment to doing the will of God, and then we're going to explore how we can be like Christ by imitating him. And hopefully by the end of uh, the message today, you will either say for the first time or you will reaffirm for the hundredth time, yes, doing the will of God, being committed to the will of God is far preferable to any other way of living my life. And so let's consider Jesus' commitment to the will of the Father. It's in uh, John 6. We'll look at verses 26 through 40. So we're jumping into the middle of the chapter, so let me set the context a bit. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus had fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And the people were so impressed by that that the next morning they got up and they tried to find Jesus. They couldn't find him because he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they finally found him uh, that next day, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus did not answer that question. He often didn't answer the question that they asked. But he responded with this observation. We're in John 6, 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, And seeing signs and understanding what the sign pointed to, that was a valid, valid thing. Like when you see a sign on the highway, it can point to you need to go west, you need to go straight. It can tell you how how far to your destination. They saw the sign, the the feeding of the 5,000, but they did not see what it pointed to. He says, "You, you seek me not because you saw signs, but for a more base reason, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, 
has set his seal. And so the bread that filled their stomachs was symbolic. It was a sign that pointed to another food which would never perish, the food that Jesus himself would give to them. And as was normally the case, or often the case, they, they really had no idea what Jesus was talking about. So they went off on this tangent about, well, Moses gave food from heaven, the manna from heaven. And uh, but when they finally requested of Jesus, Lord, give us this bread you're talking about, he responded in this way. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the one who satisfies your, your deep spiritual hunger. I am the one who quenches your deep spiritual thirst. And so from Jesus' perspective, and uh, this is our experience as well, sin leaves us empty and thirsty and hungry. When you put your faith in Jesus, he gives you life the emptiness is gone, and it's replaced by heat, by peace and wholeness. But in verse 36, Jesus pointed out that they, the people, had not experienced this type of life because they did not believe in him. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, yet you uh, yet do not believe. And so they had seen him. They had seen what he could do. And because of his superpowers, in verse 15, it says they tried to by forcibly make him their king. Imagine what a king could do if he could multiply fish and do such things. But they did not understand the type of king he was or the type of kingdom that he was establishing. Therefore, they did not believe in him. But lest they think that his mission was therefore going to be a failure, Jesus adds this statement. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And so Jesus viewed people who came to him in faith as gifts from the Father. He said, everybody who comes to me, two things are going to be true. Uh, number one, uh, those that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come to faith in me. And we'll see this in a few verses later. And number two, I will never cast out. That's a negative way of saying I will preserve them. I will keep them. Everyone who comes to faith in me will be secure and safe and uh, uh, in, my, in my presence. Did you notice how Jesus referred to God in that verse? How does he refer to his heavenly father? Him who sent me. Jesus viewed himself as someone who was sent, someone who was on a mission, someone who had, had, had been sent by the Father for very specific purposes. And in verses 39 and 40, he gets more specific about why he had been sent. Uh, or we see in verse 38, actually, uh, why we can be sure he will keep safe those the Father gives him. And here's his statement in his own words. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said, I was sent from heaven to earth, not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. So negatively, Jesus said, I did not come with a, an agenda all my own. I have not purposed to do anything independent of the Father, but I came to do the will of him who sent me. I got a little bit ahead of myself. This is the verse where Jesus says, I'm on mission. The Father sent me to do his will. 
And then in verses 39 and 40, he elaborates. And in both of these verses, he says, this is the will of God, preserving those that have come to me. And he, he explains those that come to him in two different ways, and these ways are complementary. Verse 39, he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. And then verse 40, again, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believe in him, believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And so in verse 39, he speaks of all that the Father has given me, and in verse 40, he speaks of all those who see me and come to me, uh, who behold me and believe. And so he's talking about the same people in both verses. And in both cases, he says, uh, those who the Father has given me, those who come to me and believe, I will raise up on the last day. And so these are two sides of the same coin, the Father giving people to Jesus and people seeing him and believing. And in both, in both cases, he says, uh, such persons are secure. They will have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. In other words, one day their salvation will be complete. Their salvation will extend even to their bodies. They will be raised immortal. And so this was the will of God. This was Jesus' mission. This is why the Father had sent him. And so Jesus lived with this single-minded devotion to the Father, and he talked about this in different places in his life. Uh, after his conversation with the Samaritan woman in John 4, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And in John 4:34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Isn't that an interesting way of talking about God's will? Would you ever say this? This is my food. This is what I feed on. This is what nourishes me is to do the will of the Father. And then, of course, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus agonized over what was about to happen. And his prayer to the Father uh, reflected the fact that no matter what the cost, uh, he was committed to doing his Father's will. This is in Mark 14, 36. And Jesus was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so Jesus understood what the will of God was. He understood it was the will of God for him to be arrested, to be handed over to the authorities, to be crucified, that he might pay for sin and then be raised up on the third day. But in this moment of agony, he cried out to the Father. He said, not my will, but your will. He submitted to this, this plan, which was obviously the will of God, no matter what the cost. And so because he lived with this, this commitment to the Father, he had this single-minded devotion to do the Father's will. Commitment to the will of God is really a commitment to God himself. And so Jesus came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And if you and I are like Christ, if we are Christ-like, we too will have this commitment to do the will of the Father. And I don't know if you've ever said this out loud, but I'd encourage you to, in your prayer time this, this week or in a conversation this week, if this is your heart, say from the heart, I am on this earth, I, I, I inhabit this planet, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
That is my deepest desire. That is my passion. It is my food to do the will of God from the heart. And so that's the way we're like Christ. It's one aspect of being Christ-like. And in our time remaining, I want us to think about this commitment to doing the will of the Father and imitating Christ. And uh, our commitment to the will of God really involves two things. And this is a 10,000-foot view. In broadest terms, first of all, the will of God for our lives involves believing in Jesus and then adopting his mission. And so we saw that in John 6, right? He said, this is the will of God, that the Father gives me people. It's the will of God that people see me and believe in me. And so the most basic aspect of the will of God for your life is that you see who Jesus is, that he's the one who has died for your sins, and that you believe in him. And if you believe in him, you trust in him, you will experience him as the bread of life. Your, your spiritual hunger will be satisfied. Your spiritual thirst will be quenched. You will experience a type of peace and a type of wholeness that is not available anywhere else. And so that's the will of God. That's the foundational thing. And then as you become, as you put your faith in him, you become a, a born from above, you become a new creature in Christ, you have new appetites, new desires. One of the core things that you are to do is to adopt his mission as your own. Because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, now it is also your mission to seek and save that which is lost, to do the Father's will. And so we are now called to, to help make disciples of all, all the nations, disciples from every grouping of people on earth, and be involved in this exhilarating, messy, frustrating glorious mission of helping people come to faith in Christ and then experience God in all of life. And so you and I are to be on mission every bit as much as Jesus was on mission. And if you believe in Jesus and adopt his mission as your own, now you are poised to do the will of God in everyday life, in every aspect of your life. If you have not believed in Jesus and you have not adopted his mission as your own, the idea of pleasing God, doing what he wants in every area of your life, it will seem like this, this burdensome, laborious chore. It will seem unreasonable. It will seem like a pain. It will, see, it will be this, 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 uh, all these burdensome commands that weigh you down. But if you believe in Jesus, and you can say, it's my will, not, it's, I, I have been sent not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, then doing the will of God in every area of life increasingly makes more sense than the alternative. And so if we have believed in Jesus and we've adopted his mission, now we're at a place where we can do the will of God in everyday life. And the scripture advocates this, this comprehensive commitment to the will of God. And there's three aspects to it, knowing the will of God, praying according to the will of God, and then doing the will of God. And all three are vital. One out of three is not enough. Two out of three is not enough. All three are vital, and they hold together. And this is when it, this is when it gets exciting, okay? This is when there's the satisfaction in the will of God. And so first of all, knowing the will of God. So the Bible is fundamentally about God, okay? It addresses many, many topics, but the, the fundamental thing that it, it reveals is who God is, how God thinks, 
what God wants in this world. And so the Bible is about God. And so that's why we would advocate every single one of us having a time daily where we marinate our minds in the will of God. We, we go to the Word. We have spiritual conversations. We think deeply about God's will through the Scripture and, and, and throughout our lives. And so this is a newsflash. I hope you know this. Coming to church once a week will not give you this, this in-depth knowledge of the will of God. As awesome as church is, as awesome as sitting still for 30 minutes, it will not give you the will of God the way you need it. And so you need to spend time, consistent, devoted time in the will of God, understanding the will of God. Now, what is the will of God? Well, at times, Paul explicitly told people, this is the will of God. You find it in 1 Thessalonians 4, for example. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what he wants, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so you find it there. But everything that's advocated in Scripture is the will of God. Everything that's urged upon us, that's the will of God. And so if you find it difficult to spend time reading the Scriptures or you're like, what's the point? Come to a passage and ask the question, really two questions. What does this passage teach me about God? And therefore, what does it teach me about the will of God? For example, think of a scripture like James 1, 19 and 20. And we'll, we'll, we'll trace these, this, these two verses through knowing the will of God, praying according to the will of God, and then doing the will of God. Here it is. James writes this, this you know, my beloved brethren. This is not new. This is something you already know. This you know, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What an amazing verse. So I tend to be the person who enters the room mouth first, okay? And so scriptures like this are vital for me, very strategic for my life. So if I understand this, I would say it is the will of God when I'm in conversation with people, first of all, to be quick to hear. It is the will of God that I really bear, really lean in and try to understand what the other person is saying. Not just listen to the words, but really try to get the meaning. And then it is the will of God that I am slow to speak. It's the will of God that I not just say the first thing that pops into my mind. It's not the will of God that I say, I'm just going to be honest here or nothing personal. And then I just say these harsh, mean things, okay? It's the will of God that I'm slow to speak. It's the will of God that I am slow to anger, that I'm not provoked by what other people say. Why? Because the, the anger of humans does not achieve the righteousness of God. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. Jesus cleared the temple. I understand that. But in everyday, normal conversation, the anger of humans does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so I need to know that. I need to believe that. And so understanding the will of God, it's not just having a list of 20 things that I should do. It means from the heart, I agree with what God says. And so in, in this case, knowing the will of God means knowing that it is God's desire that I'm quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so I would ask you, uh, are you presently committed to knowing in greater depth the will of God? Is that your commitment? Are you committed to understanding the will of God in greater and greater depth? 
settle that in your heart. It is the will of God that you know what he wants. Well, second, Scripture also speaks about praying according to the will of God. And one passage that teaches very clearly that the will of God should inform our praying is 1 John 5. This is the end of, of John's first letter. He writes this, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know it. Yes, I'm, I have eternal life. I have life from above. And then he moves to prayer. And this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. And so our confidence in prayer comes from praying things that are according to his will, that are compatible with what God wants for our lives. And in, in scriptures like this, the will of God is not some, some vague, nebulous thing that we have no idea about. And so praying according to God's will, it's not like, like being in a dark basement and throwing a dart and hoping it hits the bullseye. No, praying according to the will of God means praying in, praying in a way that's compatible with the revealed will of God, things that we're already told in Scripture. And John tells us that if we pray according to his will in a way that's compatible with things he, he, we know he wants, then we can be confident that he hears us, meaning that he hears us favorably, and we can be confident that we, he will give us the things for which we've asked. And again, life is complex, and we, the, the will of God is not always crystal clear. There's enough ambiguity in, in many of our circumstances to where the will of God is, is not obvious. And we don't know when we're going to get it. We're not, we don't know how we're going to get it, but we have this confidence. And John is telling us we can be confident that God will give us the things for which we pray. And so, for example, in light of James 1, 19 and 20, Praying according to the will of God might sound like this. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day you would remind me to be slow to speak. Give me self-control to not say everything that comes into my mind. I pray that today I would be more eager to listen than to speak. And as I listen, help me to discern what you are doing in others' lives. Teach me to put away anger Teach me to not be provoked because I know that that does not further what you're doing in others' lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Who would pray that prayer? Okay, who would pray that prayer? Somebody who is committed to the will of God, somebody who loves the will of God, somebody who is convinced that James 1, 19 and 20 is God's desire, it's his design for my speech, for the way I talk the way I have conversations. Do you think God would possibly answer that? Or would God say, no way, I am not giving you? No, you'd say, of course, that's what I want. That's what you want so badly that you're crying out to me for it. Gladly, I will give it. And then you walk into your day with anticipation. Finally, the scriptures speak about actually doing the will of God. A couple of weeks ago, we, we briefly considered Matthew 12, where Jesus Brother and his brothers and his mother came to him, and, and Jesus made the statement, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so it's those who do the will of God who are Jesus' spiritual family. 
And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus explained what's at stake when it comes to doing the will of God. He told this memorable parable. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, who actually does what they have heard, may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. The second scenario, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The rains will fall. The winds will blow. The floods will come. When that happens, when you and I have trials in our lives, the thing that determines whether or not we're going to experience disaster is not whether or not we know the will of God. The best predictor of whether or not a person will will persevere, will experience stability and strength is whether the person who has heard the will of God acts on it, is actually in the habit of doing the will of God. The person who lets the word of Christ dwell richly within them and then actually puts it into practice. That person is like the house built on the rock. And so if you go back to James 1, 19 and 20, let's say you know the will of God. It is the will of God that I am quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You have prayed according to the will of God. You have cried out to God, God, would you make me that type of person? Would you give me that sensitivity and that that focus in conversations? Quick to hear, slow to speak, putting aside anger. So you've asked for the grace of God. Now you're in a great place to actually put it into action. Can you see how knowing and praying according to the will of God will set you up to walk into your day in humility but also in power? And so instead of being passive, you're sitting across the table from somebody in a conversation. Instead of being passive, instead of of saying the first thing that comes to your mind, instead of being provoked when the person says that annoying thing for the 25th time, you've prayed, you know the will of God, and you're quick to hear, you're slow to speak, and you're slow to anger. And it's a powerful thing because you're, you see God accomplish his righteousness in that situation. My challenge for you this week is to identify an area of your life in which you need to, to have this comprehensive commitment to the will of God. It could be a relationship, it could be a circumstance, it could be an area of obedience. But identify something specific. I think generally speaking, specificity in the Christian life is really important. We see God work in specific ways versus, versus these vague general ways. Pick an area and pursue the will of God in that area. Seek to know the will of God. If you need help finding scriptures, ask somebody who who knows the Bible pretty well or email the church office. We'll get you scriptures. And then pray according to the will of God. And then humbly walk out into your day and seek to do the will of God from the heart. You see, in this way, we imitate Jesus himself who said, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me.
Heavenly Father, we ask that this would be our heart this, this week. We pray, God, that you would give us the will to imitate Christ and to uh, understand your will and to pray according to your will and seek to do your will. We pray we'd find the joy that comes from doing your will. We pray we'd find the satisfaction, the peace, the rest that are the byproduct of doing your will. We pray that we as a, as a body of Christ would really embody this in our relationships and in our, our uh, thinking and speaking and acting. So God, would you accomplish this in our midst for our good and for your glory. And God, accept the tithes and offerings that we bring you now. We do so with glad hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.